a lot of hand-wringing goes on in our association space about how do we get young people involved, but then we are maybe perhaps doing all the things that young people don't like, over-controlling everything, right? Being too prescriptive, being overly concerned with legacy and tradition. And I think you have to let go of that if you want to be authentic. Some great advice from today's guests and a quick preview of what's to come on this episode of VSAE Connections, an original podcast series focused on the interconnectivity of Virginia's association community, produced by the Virginia Society of Association Executives. I'm Colby Horton, and I'm here with my colleague and co-host, Frank Humata. Hey, Frank. Hey, Colby. You know, as we step into a new year, it's always prime time to carve out those resolutions for professional growth. And our guest is here to guide us through the ins and outs of purposeful leadership, offering insights to fuel our journey to becoming a remarkable leader. Frank, I'm personally looking forward to this conversation as we delve into the world of leadership, mentorship, and snagging some golden nuggets of advice for those aspiring leaders out there. So Frank, who do we have on the show today? Well, Cole, but today we're talking with Bailey Caston, and Bailey serves as the Executive Director of the Virginia Recreation and Park Society, an organization that strives to unite all professionals, students, and interested laypersons engaged in the field of recreations, parks, and other leisure services in the Commonwealth of Virginia into one body. She's a proud graduate of American University in Washington, D.C., and has over 20 years of association management experience. Bailey is a proud mother of two young children, and when not at work, you can find her either playing outside with the kids, working in her beloved gardens, or helping with her family's chocolate business. That's great. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. So let's connect with Bailey Caston. Welcome to the podcast, Bailey. Thank you for having me. We're happy to have you here. And let's not waste any time to, to kick things off. Can you talk to us a little bit about your career journey and what drew you to the association community? I think I'm a rare bird and that I chose this profession and I've been in it the entire time. So I think 2024 is my 20th year in associations. And I actually got introduced to them through my um, fabulous university, American University, for any alums out there. And I had the pleasure of doing sort of informational interviews and tag-along days at two different associations in D.C., that's where my fellow graduates worked, and I didn't really know anything about the profession ahead. I just went to those, and I said, you know what? There's something here. I really like it, and I ended up at my first association right when I graduated. So what was that something? What keeps you here 20 years later? There's a couple of things, but honestly, you are around people who are passionate about what they do, not just your fellow colleagues in association management, but your members. You are basically absorbing the presence of like awesome leaders all day long. And if anybody is active with their association, it means they really care about their profession, their industry, their career. So nobody's ever blase or uninterested, can't wait to get out of this, blah, blah, blah. Everybody is really passionate. And I just get addicted to that positivity, that ambition, the vision people have for what their profession ought to be in the future or how it can change the world. Having almost 20 years in now, I've sat through a lot of like strategic planning sessions where they go through that visioning stage when everybody is sometimes closing their eyes and picturing how their association is going to make the world a better place and who wouldn't want to be around that. I just couldn't imagine being away from it. 
I love how you started in the association space and you have yet to leave. And that's, as you said in the beginning, not something that we hear very often. A lot of people just land in the association space after doing a bunch of other stuff. That's where you started. That's where you are today. And, and that's where your career has evolved. And speaking of that, we know based on some of our conversations in our pre-show, we know that you're someone who has transitioned from this C-suite executive role in a larger association and now are the executive director of a smaller association. And obviously that comes with some unique challenges and opportunities. Can you talk about some of those challenges as well as those opportunities and maybe how your leadership approach has evolved during this process? And sure. The last few roles I've had have been at that leadership level. Although I've also taken my time as a consultant in the industry as well. So I've been through uh, quite a few different facets over time. But I have served as a chief operating officer and uh, interim CEO and a chief data officer of a national association. And leading into this role I have now with Virginia Recreation and Park Society as executive director, all of the leaders that I interacted with at the previous associations have left their mark on me. Absolutely every CEO I've worked under, the board members and committee members and fellow colleagues have really helped shape my style. Some of the challenges in moving from a national association to a smaller one are obvious. One, I don't have the budget playground I used to have. Especially being a tech person, having been a COO and chief data officer in particular, I was able to really invest and say yes to a lot of technology. Things that were new, solutions, consultants, experiments that were a little out there or could be really advanced, they had big price tags sometimes. And now having a much different size budget, especially for technology, I'd have to rein that in. But I actually don't know it's only, it's not only a challenge. It gives you the uh, impetus or fire to be more creative and to use kind of good old-fashioned networking and ask a friend. Uh, and actually, in that case, my friends are my members, which is something that I think is also unique and special about the state society is that my members are able to contribute far more directly in some cases to the workload. For example, I can just think just today, actually, we launched our new logo. I'm really excited about it. It's really cute. It's like fresh new brand. And when we were going to come up with a marketing rollout for our new brand, I don't have a marketing team or consultants or anything like that. It's really something that we did relying a lot on volunteers. And actually, I asked one of my members who does work in marketing communications to help craft our rollout strategy. And that level of control given to a volunteer is something I wasn't necessarily familiar with from my national associations. We never would have let volunteers, I'll be honest with you, come in and just create a work product for us. But it was fantastic. I've been getting emails all day saying they love the video. And I'm like, it's not me. <laughs> I didn't create that. And so it's, I get to say yes a little more. I get to have members coming in a little more. Maybe I need them more than I used to, but that's not a bad thing because it encourages you to be more empowering of your volunteers. And I think that model allows my volunteers to really feel like they have more skin in the game and be much more emotionally connected because they can see in some ways, like really direct ways that they make a big difference for the society. Sometimes we have to work together to get things done. I could have just done a lot more simply or maybe assigned to another team. My last organization probably had four or five staff members doing nothing but marketing communications. 
And now it's mostly done for me by committee. So it's just a totally different way of thinking. It's one where you have to let go of control, but you get to bring a lot of new ideas and energy in. It's not bad. Yeah, I love that you can put that type of initiative at the hands of your members and what great immediate feedback you can get from those that you're serving. So that's awesome. I like that. Yeah, you're so close to it at a state society. It's a joy. You get to feel your positive impact right then and there. And so does my member, right? And I can just call them. I don't have to go through 500 levels of pomp and circumstance to get to it. We really can just roll up our sleeves together. And if you think about like all the work friends you've had over your career, it's the ones that you do roll up your sleeves with that tend to have these important, meaningful roles in your life. So I get to have that with my members. So it's just really fun. I enjoy it. Absolutely. That's great. I want to get into the role associations play in providing opportunities to a diverse group of, of folks. Can you share your perspective on the role of associations in providing opportunities for women or young or emerging professionals or leaders within the association? Oh, sure. That's one thing that I have loved every year of my career was to see how many women are on the stage at ASAE, at VSAE, in our organizations and in increasingly in the industries we serve. I often see that, let's say, with DEI efforts, we almost have to talk about them in two layers, one for the profession and one for our own, own organization, because they're usually facing different issues. And for the, our own organization, we're often a little further along the journey. But there are a great number of young leaders and associations as well. Being a small organization, Sometimes you have to just delegate and give responsibility to whoever can do it. <laughs> and that is such an opportunity. So small organizations create this chance for someone who is relatively inexperienced to come in and own something, own a program, own a project. And they can be mentored by a senior staff and by the members who they're working with. There's almost always a committee or a volunteer involved, too, when it comes to the programming aspects of our associations. And so it may be somebody who is only a few years into the industry, but they're working side by side with somebody who may be 20 or 30 years into their profession, getting to work with them and see how they think, how they lead the committee conversations. Think about how many hours a young staffer gets to hear, because almost everybody's some kind of committee liaison, let's be honest. They get to hear a meeting being led. They get to hear how they handle something that's off topic or a new idea, or something challenging, or something negative, they get to see that, and I think it grows leaders really fast. And it's something that I've just always appreciated about our industry. I've always felt like association leaders could be really open about who they were, but I was thinking back to something that really inspired me. And a couple of years ago, Lakeisha Woods became the president of ASAE, and I was in the audience at the annual conference when she came up to accept and start her term. And she brought out her daughter on the stage, who was maybe like eight or nine elementary age daughter. And I think just being able for her to be at really one of the pinnacle seats of our profession, but then own that she was a mother and incorporate her daughter into that, like that almost moved me to tears being in the audience, just being able to know that her community would support that and be inclusive of that. And I just find it to be a really encouraging space for women, mothers. We get the chance to be on stage 
much sooner than we would if we had a regular career. You always got to fill in or intro someone. There's all these pathways to do what would be considered the typical leadership activities, public speaking, managing a room, running a phone call, circling up good ideas. You get to do that so early on. And, you know, I guess I've often felt very supportive. And I'm part of some great women's groups as well in the space that have been really helpful for me over the years, too. Billy, many associations aim to foster mentorship and professional development for their members. How does your association support uh, the growth and advancement of young professionals within your industry? Virginia Recreation and Park Society has recently launched our Young Professionals Network. And that's not necessarily uncommon in associations. Those are more and more frequently in existence. What I think is particularly cool about ours is that it is also itself run by young professionals, and we have completely empowered them to design a program that benefits young professionals the way that they want. So you won't see us meddling as a board or as a staff in helping them determine their plan for the year. We're trying so hard to be supportive and open and inclusive of what they want to do. So I think it's like you can't just have this philosophy that you want to have young professionals engaged. You have to be engaging and magnetic as an organization to young professionals. A lot of hand-wringing goes on in our association space about how do we get young people involved, but then we are maybe perhaps doing all the things that young people don't like, over-controlling everything, right? Being too prescriptive, being overly concerned with legacy and tradition. And I think you have to let go of that if you want to be authentic. And I think it's probably been true in every generation, but it's always young people who are the fastest to spot in authenticity. So I think you have to live that truthfully in your organization too, and really incorporate their ideas without pigeonholing them. For your members as a whole, what strategies are you using to engage and retain members? For our organization, what we bring is a vision to unite the state or the Commonwealth of Virginia. Virginia is so diverse. We've got everything. And my members are parks and rec professionals. So they do a little bit of everything. You can't believe all the things they do. It's not just nature trails, but it's also recreation centers, camps in the summer, preschools all day after before care, cemetery maintenance, seniors, all day senior centers. It just goes on and on. So they're working with all parts of their community. And then on top of that, Virginia itself has so many different things going on, even just physically. We have mountains. We've got our coastal communities. Those communities have way different needs for their parks. And I think without an organization like ours, you can feel like you're on an island. So what we try to do is make it feel as though they are becoming one with each other, unified on behalf of Parks and Rec, bubbling up issues of thought leadership for the Commonwealth itself. Having that one voice that can represent them in Richmond nationally, and along with our affiliated national organization, NRPA, but really the association serves to really unite us all in our larger mission. And it, that is so true with a state that is just so diverse as Virginia. That's great. I want to also go back to something that you talked about a little bit earlier and What's great about working for an association is that you get to work for so many great leaders. 
I think that in essence, an association exec gets a new boss or a new supervisor every year as a new board is brought into place, et cetera. So you learned a lot from a number of leaders in your 20-year career. In your opinion, what are some of the critical skills or qualities that association leaders need to possess to navigate the evolving landscape of the industry today? I think that one of the biggest ones is foresight because there is so much change happening in the world. And I think there's a certain level of urgency that all associations need to have. And I think leaders in the association, they have to be so diligent to be watching what's happening. I think that's why it's so valuable that we have our own communities where we can share and talk like VSAE, but to see what's coming towards our members, right? And be on top of it. Uh, I think that's what our members really rely on us for. I think there's the day of us being the protectors of the standard. That's still true. But what we also have to be is like the guardians of our profession. And to do that, you have to be so smart. And the smartest people listen. So you have to be constantly listening to what's happening in the profession in our association industry as well. But I think it's like really consuming so much information, getting out there, talking to people, and being able to, when asked, talk about what's most important to your industry. So you're ready if the phone rings and it's the Washington Post, or if it's something that's happening in Richmond, or it's the next initiative or statement that your organization needs to make about a big disruptive change. But you can't, can't do that if you're asleep at the wheel. So for me, it's really being that diligent, alert, and urgent kind of leader that is really always looking at the future, because that's really our role that we can play for our organizations. They don't have to look out for their individual teams, but we're looking out for everybody. And that's a real responsibility, and it's a real honor, too. I agree completely. So to follow up on that, what advice would you give to aspiring association leaders? I think you can't do enough learning and consuming of information. So listening to podcasts like this one, reading the articles that come out, attending conferences. And of course, maybe I'm just talking about consuming what we all sell, but don't we believe in what associations do that we shouldn't be consuming them ourselves? What are we doing if we don't believe in the key functions of an association? Use your association. If you believe in what we do, what, that we add value to the world, then you should be using your own associations because we already know how to get success in the career pipeline. It's through your association. If you don't think that, what are you doing in association management? Be on a committee write for the newsletter or the magazine, submit a journal article, work with an academic. We don't have to reinvent it. We are success in an industry. That's our DNA as an association community, right, is we create leaders. So if you, we should be using our own tools. And I just feel very strongly about that because we can see the ones, the, lo the longer you work at an association, you can see the people who are going to be on your board in 10 years. You're like, oh, that person's going somewhere. All of a sudden, they're everywhere. And not because they're someone's favorite, but because they're fired up, because they're really smart, they have great ideas, they're submitting abstracts, they're submitting in every which way, they're on every committee, they're all sitting on the board here, they're on the regional group there. Those people, they show up and they care, they share their ideas, they bring smart people together, 
and they put in the work. I think if you just follow our own model and use your own associations and groups for the things that you're passionate about, and it could be, like I said, the association community itself, or it could be other aspects of nonprofit management. If it's a nonprofit finance that interests you, there's plenty of spinoffs that you could go that way too, or HR or marketing. It doesn't have to be only the peer association space, but we know how to get ahead. Use our own tools. Yeah, it's all about the passion. I love that advice. Thank you. And Bailey, you mentioned briefly VSAE earlier, and why is being involved with a community like VSAE so important for association leaders? I think to be a good leader, it really helps to be in a community of leaders. You get to hear what they're thinking about, worrying about over lunch, over a cup of coffee. You get to make those connections. And one way to do that is by being active in an organization like VSAE. And I'll just put a plug for state societies. I moved into one because I like the size of the community. You get your arms around it. You can really know people. There's nothing I love more, actually, than going into a room and feeling like people know me. So comforting to me. But I think beyond just having fun and having friends, I am learning, just absorbing how great leaders think, how they pull apart their own problems. If I'm talking to somebody who I really admire and they're talking to me about some issue they're having in their organization, their staff, membership, whatever, I'm hearing and absorbing the lessons that they are working out themselves. And I can even give them feedback and we go back and forth. And I know that some of these sort of casual conversations that I've had with people who have become my uh, friends and colleagues through organizations like including VSE have really inspired my own leadership style. The community is wonderful and it's amazing what you can take out of it from leadership to even more passions to just learning a trade, learning the industry, meeting new friends, networking, you name it. It's, it's here in this community, the association community, VSAE. So thank you for, for the insight there. I want to end this podcast throwing a little personal stuff at you. So talk to us a little bit about Artisan Confections, and you'll have to tell our listeners a little bit about that endeavor, and then talk about how it has evolved for your family. Yeah, it's funny because it always comes back to chocolate at some point, the conversation that my family has, because it probably is the most fun and interesting thing you can ever get into. I'm like the biggest association nerd in the world, but it's hard to top chocolate, I'll be honest with you. In getting to be a long time ago, something like 2008 or so, my husband decided to plan for a different career. He had been an engineer, software, and things like that. And we'd had this idea that we cooked up together to start a chocolate business. And actually, I'll even credit a little bit of association inspiration. I'm like, we'll tie it back in. I'm good at doing that. But actually, my boss at the time was the CEO and founder of the association that I work for. And he had this little plaque in his office that said, trust your crazy ideas. And I think that's always been in the back of my head. But maybe that was part of what inspired me to push and say, Leslie, you should just do it. Just do it. And he started a, a chocolate company that was at first just sold at like events, like a wine tasting at a wine shop. We just asked to be there. We'd make the chocolate for the event, whatever it didn't sell, like our friends ate. <laughs> like there was no major organization to it. It was just, let's just try it, like minimally viable product. <laughs> let's just start. And then it got bigger and bigger. We got sold in shops. Then we purchased um, another business and it combined into it. Now we had a retail shop and now we've just opened our second location 
in McLean. So now we have a boutique shop in Arlington and one in McLean, and we have full-time chocolatiers in addition to my husband. And I don't know if, we're, if we are officially, but we must be, if not the biggest, one of the largest independent chocolatiers in the DMV. And I just think about it sometimes with such pride because it was really us just deciding to go for it. And really, I get to my husband. He's the master chocolatier. But as a family business, if anybody out there has a family business, everybody's involved. Myself, my kids, we were, we're always at the shops. When it came to Christmas sales, we were all tying ribbons in the late hours. My kids have packed a box here or there for shipping. They have aprons with their names on. My mom made for them. And actually, all the aprons in our shop, my mom made with her uh, sewing machine. So it's just everything Every aspect of the business comes from the family. Every email sent or picture taken it just comes from the family business. And so it's been like a big source of joy and pride for us and fun. And so something that is like our little part of the world that we've carved out as a family. And we're really proud of it. So yeah, Artisan Confections, everything's handmade and just really delicious chocolate truffles, caramels, bars, and we do corporate events as well. So for those associations, we do quite a few association events as well. I'll just put that plug in, speaker <laughs> gifts and anniversary logos and all those things. It's just a really fun, joyous and joyful career being a chocolatier. I've seen that with my husband. Everybody comes up to him so happy. They just want to hear about it, <laughs> experience it. And there's just not a happier place on earth than a chocolate shop. People just come in such a good mood, so excited kids go crazy. It's just like the absolute best. So you get a little high on life just being around all that energy. So it's a real blessing to have that in the family. That's awesome. Congratulations on taking that crazy idea to the next level. I think I'm hungry for some chocolate now. Yeah, come visit us in the shop. I'll arrange to be there if possible. Welcome all listeners. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. Bailey, thanks for sharing your insight with us today and being a part of today's podcast. Thank you so much again for having me and for sharing these stories. It's great. And thanks, everyone, for listening to this episode of VSAE Connections. Join us each month as we continue our conversations with VSAE members about life, work, and the communities they serve. Be sure to subscribe to our podcasts on Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. And on behalf of VSAE, I'm Colby Horton with Frank Cumata. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.